I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming off! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, hunkered down in Harold's Cross. And I'm joined on the line for a very special edition of Rugby Weekly by Murray Kinsella in County Waterford. How are you, Murray? I'm good, Gav. I was uh, kind of restored by our chat yesterday on the members pod. Um, and I've tried to spruce myself up a little bit. I was in tracky yesterday, but I'm in my jeans and t-shirt today. So a little bit fancier, but yeah, looking forward to our chat. Andy Dunn, you're in Dublin. Very welcome. Great to have you on for the podcast. How are you keeping in the circumstances? Um, <clears throat> I, I never realised how much I love sport. I think uh, I certainly have missed it. I mean, I always knew I loved sport, but now that it's just gone from our lives, I'm, uh, I'm kind of wandering around a bit lost at times, but hopefully we can get some back on our screens or back on the field in the next couple of weeks, maybe a bit longer, but have to make do it reminiscing for now by the sounds of it and you never thought you'd miss the the pro 14 but you did no no i still don't no i'd just like to clarify i'm delighted that all pro 14 games are postponed <laughs> <laughs> oh man surely you take a an old dragons cheetahs game now no dragons cheetahs or southern kings you know a, a real humdinger sit on the edge of our seats no i would take it i would take it for sure Andy, I presume you're you're keeping busy despite the country being um, in a state of disarray at the moment. Or, well, maybe maybe disarray is actually unfair. But I, I did see that you were putting your parents through their paces on a clip you shared on Twitter, your much-beloved Twitter. Yes, the uh, I don't use social media a huge amount, but obviously you've converted in the last few days. Yeah, we, we, um, we run a health clinic out in Rathmines, um, focuses on clinical exercise, so... That's really exercise for people with medical conditions. And um, both my parents, who are in their, their later 70s, come along, along with a multitude of others. The average age of people who comes to us in the clinic in our minds is over 60. And they all exercise kind of one-to-one there. So that is a generation who is incredibly resilient and flexible. And a lot of them are doing online appointments with us now. So it's been great fun. It's been a bit weird and different, but to... Um, to link in with someone in their 70s at their home and help them out exercising is actually good for their immunity at the moment while they're all a little worried about being uh, self-isolated and their <clears throat> their children or grandchildren are looking after the shopping. Um, we're, we're trying to look after the exercise at home piece. So we've had a bit of fun and a bit of a transition into that in the last week. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's It's something different, you know. Yeah, it was amazing to see. Made me feel like shit, but uh, great to see at the same time. Well, my mum and dad, my mum and dad can get up and down off the floor in about six times inside a minute, maybe seven. And my my mum actually rang me yesterday and said <clears throat> she's annoyed that the clip was from about a, two weeks ago. She can now do eight in a minute, and she's in her late seventies. <laughs> so, if you anyone wants to give it a go at home, is listen to this. You you from fully standing to completely flat on the ground, face down, and back up to fully upright again as many times as you can in a minute and uh, unless you've got really bad blood pressure issues it's a safe thing to do and uh, yeah it's, uh, it's way tougher than it looks 
Brilliant. Well, with everybody in isolation, as you say, or at least as many people as is possible, we thought, what better time with borders closing and flights being reined in and travel being restricted to celebrate some of the greatest rugby players ever to come from foreign shores and land in here on this island. We're going to try and rank our top fives, best ever foreign imports in Irish rugby. Murray, you're going to kick us off, I think, with your number five, if you don't mind. And along the way, we'll also, I suppose, get a couple of stories from Andy because he would have played with some of these guys maybe. And even throw a, the odd honourable mention to your Eddie Hekanui's, um, who has featured prominently on the podcast in the past. Murray, start us off so with number five, your fifth best foreign import into Irish rugby, to your knowledge. Yeah, um, well, first off, I will say you, you kind of realise just the extent of um, the... the import influence in Irish rugby over the last couple of decades really at this stage when you go through it and it's very hard to narrow down because there have been so many different guys to make their contribution in different ways some were here for just a season and made a massive impact in that in that short space time others were here for longer and had influence on young players and, and all that kind of stuff so it was kind of hard to kind of clarify the criteria or even narrow it down to five in the end my number five was Jim Williams in Munster um, came over obviously as a player early 2000s um, and he, while he wasn't on the pitch when they eventually went on to get to their holy grail of those two uh, Heineken Cups he was part of the coaching team um, and he was also captain during his time as a player in Munster which was a massive honour uh, for obviously because you know you favour homegrown players in that sense people who are from the place um, and so so many guys in that Munster squad un- understood what it was all about but Williams got that huge honour and he was just such a gritty hard-nosed forward he obviously set-piece expert but he had more than enough mobility around the pitch really experienced head um, and definitely had an influence on guys I think he kind of took up a guy who misses out I feel is unfortunate to miss out even on the top five is John Langford who came earlier than than Jim Williams and definitely was a key uh, figure in that stepping stone from Munster being a essentially an amateur team to to those professionals who went after titles um I kind of see Jim Williams as, as taking up that mantle and, and pushing on even further. So really as a player, captain and coach, I think his contribution was invaluable to Munster getting to where they did. Now, listeners to the members podcast yesterday would have heard Murray and I start to construct our best ever 15 uh, of Irish players in the 21st century. And I think we only had one different call in the front five. And incredibly, I mean, we may have, or we, possibly should have conferred prior to the podcast <laughs> for f- for number five here i've written jim williams slash john langford uh so i don't need to add really anything to what murray has said there about williams andy w- did you cross paths with williams as a player <clears throat> yeah i played against him a couple of times uh for sure i think like tongue-in-cheek there was always a few question marks about jim williams age i think he definitely said he definitely was saying he was younger than he was um <laughs> But I, I, what I think about Williams and, and probably Langford as well was that they came into to Munster at a time when the Munster pack was already a really, really collective unit. It was dynamic. They had, they had a legacy and a history already of being fearsome and uh, intimidating to other sides. And I think where Munster made a... Um, a bit of a, a progression in in the later days when they started when they won in Europe, and um, like the likes of Trevor Halstead, where were it was probably more expected that Munster would benefit from 
foreign imports in the back line, actually, Lefemi, Mafi, and players like that. But to come in as a forward and earn the respect of the group that was already there, I think was probably a huge task because the characters and personalities, Peter Clossy, Mick Galway, um, and, you know, we've great memories of European games and seeing Galway scrumming down with, with Langford and, and Williams in, a, in the back row with Quinlan or Foley and, you know, the likes of Hayes up in the front row as well. They, they had an incredible group of um, charismatic rugby players. So for, for the likes of Williams to come in and be impactful in that group is a huge achievement. It probably would have been odd for some of the monster players, Andy, at the time, just that Williams landed in and immediately became captain in a squad with those types of characters. Like, how would you have reacted if that had been the situation? Some blow-in coming up from the south and basically getting the keys to the dressing room. I think, um, yeah, it's, it probably caused, I'm sure, like, like we're all familiarising ourselves now so much with, with how difficult change is and sudden change in particular but um if he was handed the keys to the dressing room as you said it he 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 went on to earn the respect of the dressing room very much um and i think one of the one of the big things of a player like williams coming in or a player like langford <clears throat> they were coming into northern hemisphere rugby at a time where i think there was a significant gap in professional standards um, there was an experience gap there was a skills gap in that the, the Southern Hemisphere had had moved significantly ahead by the mid to late 90s from the Northern Hemisphere. And we were very, very much still maybe professional in name, but amateur in nature. And so the likes of Langford and, and Jim Williams coming into Irish professional environments, they were helping us close that gap very, very quickly through sharing experience. And I think they were identifying areas of weakness within the Irish squad set up whether it was the resources whether it was talking to to the the directors of of the provinces and, and encouraging investment all these lads had influence in that area because they'd come from i i remember nathan spooner and adam magro and leinster and um, we were on a priest their first pre-season friendly was a a friendly down in in buccaneers rugby club and it had just been renamed ericsson park but it was essentially railings around the grass field and the lads were asking on the team coach how far was the journey to Ericsson Stadium and there was a bit of a, <coughs> a deep intake of breath as, as these lads don't know what they're going into you know they were coming from ACT Brumbies versus Queensland Reds 40,000 people in in Suncorp Stadium or or um, sorry Ballymore as it used to be called back then you know and they were suddenly coming over to Ireland where it was very very different so while there was there was established good players and, and charismatic figures such as in the Munster dressing room and, and maybe less so in Leinster and Ulster there was an experience gap and a skills gap that we needed filling and they, they provided at a crucial time in Irish rugby. So Andy you kick us off there with uh, with your own list or one of your five choices um, um, who would you have along, <clears throat> alongside I'm not Williams? sure exactly and, and uh if if this seems a bit harsh on the number, but uh, Felipe, I have in at number four. Um, and the reason I have him probably at four is that I think he had a profound impact on Leinster rugby. He was hugely popular. Um, 
but actually, but but he didn't. I suppose he didn't win silverware. Um, compared to, we'll talk later on about players like Rocky Elsom, Nasiwa, and other players in Munster, Ulster, and Connacht, obviously. But, um, I suppose that would be a rationale for me to be higher on the list that uh, you were part of a team that actually won silverware. But but um, <clears throat> Felipe himself was, um, was a player that very much was able to to the team was able to shape themselves around what he did by reaction which is an incredibly powerful thing he he mightn't have always stuck with exactly what the coaching staff said he went through a rocky period under Declan Kidney when and the whole of Leinster did even at that stage I think uh, when Declan came in to coach Leinster and uh I think Felipe struggled and then he had a neck injury, but he showed a lot of resilience and then he came back to the fore really under, under Cheka. Um, and while Cheka was very, um, I suppose had a very, very dogmatic about how he wanted to, the team to play and it was a very structured way to play and it was a new way to play that Cheka introduced. Felipe seemed to have the capacity and the wherewithal to ignore it when he felt like it, but also to ignore it for the right reasons when something was was on he was given license to read the situation and change it up and he had hugely positive instincts for attacking rugby he, he great ingenuity he was an original creative thinker and uh, and I think probably everyone would agree with me that he should be he certainly features in the top five for how impactful he was in around Irish rugby culture for a few years there Absolutely, yeah. I've actually got him at number four as well. Murray, your thoughts on Contepomi, who was probably unfortunate actually not to win a Heineken Cup in 2009. Obviously, he won one, but uh, just didn't feature in the final. And then uh, give us your own number four then as well, Murray, when you've given us the lowdown on Felipe. Yeah, well, he's my number four as well. Uh, funnily enough, oh, the right. three of us have the same order again there. Um, yeah, I'd echo a lot of what Andy said. Those first couple of seasons were were tricky I was actually talking to David O'Donovan uh, Shannon legend there recently and he remembers Contepomi line he had for Carlo at the at the start um, kind of wondering where he was certainly um, I think Carlo got beaten by about 40 points or so David claims anyway he says he stepped Contepomi as well no video footage to confirm that but I wouldn't doubt it um, so obviously he didn't get off to the, the best start but he, he really grew into it and became such an integral figure in their I guess the transformation, yeah, and, and end up being the top scorer in what two thousand five oh six in the Celtic League and the H uh, in the the Heineken Cup as well. Um, I thought his quarter final performance away to Toulouse in that famous match was just sublime. Just him at his best, creative, bringing those around him into play, getting the best out of that exceptionally talented backline. But then you had the week after, or the rather the round after against Munster in that semi final when they really went after him and. It didn't go well for him that day. That was almost part of the attraction, I guess, in watching him. He was kind of different in his temperament, obviously not exactly the same as all the Irish players. And that was the, that was the quality of it. He could think differently. He could react differently. Sometimes maybe that didn't always work out to to the best effect, but it was riveting to watch. Like his playmaking and his kicking skills and those little creative edges he brought were just joyful to watch um, and a really key guy in the, in the growth of it. Yeah, you mentioned there, Gav, like he was unlucky not to get his winner's medal um in in when they got over the line obviously he hands over the the reins to Sexton gets injured early in that semi final the the big win over Munster but he'd done as as much as anyone to get them there he did have that Celtic league title as well so um yeah a key figure in the transformation 
um, as Leinster went about becoming uh, champions of Europe. Yeah, uh, well, Andy doesn't count Celtic League medals, to be fair. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Andy, who have you got next up then? We'll, we'll call it number three. Um, after Felipe, we're into sort of like the really big names now. But we'll also sort of mention some of those guys who were probably unlucky to miss. Say, for example, you mentioned Elson, who I don't have on my list purely for the basis that he was there for such a short period of time. An unbelievable uh, period as it was. Uh, who have you got next up? Yeah, I've Rocky Elson in, in third. I, I'm, I'm at risk of being accused of Leinster bias here. Uh, I'm trying to be as as uh, uh, unbiased as possible. But um, Elson was was effectively man of the match for um the lads reckon twelve of his last fifteen games um and five of which were kind of knockout games really so he he was man of the match in the quarters semis and final in a row to win the Heineken Cup in two thousand and nine um, and you know if he mightn't have been around <clears throat> in terms of duration too long but he uh, he also wasn't a good trainer. You know, there's famous stories about him falling asleep in uh, in a video review a couple of weeks before the Heineken Cup final, just lying on the floor falling asleep in a, in a meeting room with Cheka, where a lot of <laughs> a lot of players uh, wouldn't have dared do that because they had their head chopped off. But um, he he definitely was another one who who played by his own rules, and he's been controversial even since his retirement, and he's been very elusive and. I don't think he attended the ten year reunion even for the for the he's one of the only players who didn't attend the reunion for the Heineken Cup uh, anniversary for, for Leinster. He he um definitely a man who's um you know very very much uh, marching to the beat of his own drum, but um to 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 single handedly be head and shoulders above so many amazing players on the field for both sides in knockout European rugby three games in a row and going on to win a European Cup I think he deserves to be included even though his his overall period of time was short in Irish rugby You've made a very strong case for him there have you got Elsom in your list Murray? No I'm the same as you I, I veer towards players who kind of had that body of work um, and were there for maybe more substantial periods and maybe built up their legacy that way but it is like it, it makes sense to have him in there in terms of that sheer impact in a short space of time. There's there's no one really to match him. Like what a rampant ball carrier playing against, as Andy says, some of the best in the world and and with some of the best in the world. He looked like he was over age at times. You know, running a fifteen year old against under twelves boys at times. People couldn't tackle him. Um, and the the player of the the year awards were across the board. I think he had European Player of the Year, Leinster Player of the Year even Magner's League Player of the Year maybe even in, in that one season. Just remarkable stuff and then he heads off back to Australia I think kind of chasing those caps so it was short lived but you know it's etched in everyone's memory that kind of shaggy mane of hair um, kind of flowing everywhere as he as he charges forward and over the top of another tackle. Really, um, really massive impact from him. But yeah I, I lean towards those guys who had been in, in place for a longer time. And, and I, I think Andy makes a fair point about, listen, you should judge on trophies. But I actually went for Ruan Pinar in third um, for that kind of legacy and um, sheer duration that he had with Ulster. They obviously didn't win. They got to that 2012 Heineken Cup final. And I don't think they would have done that without his kind of influence. He was essentially the king of, the, of Ulster within the province at that time. Um, seven years before he kind of was forced out by the RFU and, and a really painful kind of thing 
obviously Ulster fans were scarred by it. Um, it's worked out okay with, with John Cooney, but Pinar was just regal in his play, really controlling, kind of general at nine. His kicking game was... Uh, and remains just superb like he's still playing with the cheetahs and has been good this year he was big he's big enough a uh, kind of guy in terms of his frame to be excellent in contact as well powerful to to, to both tackle and, and actually carry through tackles his pass probably underrated because other parts of his game are so good um, and he had that running game kind of upright style he was well able to take a gap around the fringe and um, also obviously the place kicking was a massive um part of his armory as well Himself and Johan Muller probably were the were the two imports I looked at from Ulster specifically, but Pinar I think, in terms of um, just being such a dominant figure in the province and even making such bonds off the pitch as well. You know when he was in Montpellier and his family were unhappy, they actually went back to Belfast while he was still playing over there. Um, they're all back home in South Africa now, but he made he made a massive imprint on the whole province really and became just a part of the furniture. I think it'll no way that they didn't get over that line and um, maybe get that trophy reward. Any disagreements there, Andy, on the basis that the trophies weren't exactly there uh, based on your own criteria when selecting Elson? Or can you see why Pinar would be included in this? Uh, uh, I Absolutely. I, I think um, in the list I, I had included, uh, I suppose you have to pick some some rationale for consistency. And I thought there's been a lot of impact for foreign import players. Um, and in order to narrow it down, looked at ones who, who maybe had won silverware. But but Pienaar, um in terms of overall influence on culture within Ulster rugby, I think was was hugely significant. Got as, as Murray mentioned, got to that 2012 final. But um, for me... Just, just a, one of these. You rarely see players in in modern professional rugby who who glide, who glide across the field, who look, um, who look like they, you know, they can slow things down when they need to, and the game seems easier for them. And he's one of those players that seems to glide through a game, skips across the the water surface really, as opposed to having to plow his way through. Like a, <clears throat> a lot of modern players are involved in high level physical combat on the field and he seemed to be able to just dance around it he seemed to be a very very elusive in terms of going into contact obviously a brilliant passer an even better kicker of the ball um, and, and influential in the style with which Ulster played so he very very impactful I don't I don't know any background on, on his personality or, or what he was like but he appeared to be a, a really impactful leader in Ulster and, and absolutely worth being in the discussion and uh, as many others are we can only pick five but very very worthwhile inclusion yeah Who is the next name on your own list then Andy? Um, the next one on the list I was I, I went for a, um, a well it's it's flaunting the rules a, a little bit I, I I went for a partnership. I mentioned them earlier. Was Rua Tapoki and Lefemi Mafi because I think they were fundamental in in changing, really, really changing how how Munster played. I think um, the likes of Williams and Langford came in and and strengthened up uh, and added huge value to to the domestic group of players there who we mentioned were charismatic and uh, and very very physically kind of destructive group a very skillful group but they didn't 
that didn't change the overall pattern of how Munster were able to play. When I when I think about the likes of Topoki and Maffi coming in and playing in the centres, they opened up the field for Munster. And while Munster were hugely strong up front and they had brilliant half-backs and they had Raj, who was excellent at the territory game, to, to add in a new ingredient with two brilliant runners, two brilliant distributors, two brilliant defenders, um, two brilliant communicators, they changed, they, they added a whole new dimension to how Munster Rugby was able to express itself. And it made Munster Rugby really, really difficult to play against even more so. I mean, while I think Munster were, were hugely difficult to play against for any opposition, they were viewed as a difficult side to play against because of how combative they were up front and how tactically smart and adept Stringer and O'Gara were. But when you suddenly added in... um these two midfield maestros who uh you know could could add such value to their game and add such uh variation into their game i think it made munster a really fearsome uh operation then i know there's obviously others there's doug howlett and but they're often think those wider those players wider on the fringes are on the receiving end of a lot of the in the, the midfield play and i think those two i i picked them as a partnership as opposed to one but I just feel they were really central to changing how how uh, Munster Rugby plays. Yeah, I think it's yeah. fair to to pick them as a partnership. Murray, um, definitely with the the combination of them, it did feel as though in two thousand and eight Munster had kicked on a gear nearly from that famous team in two thousand and six that had won a Heineken Cup. Obviously, two thousand and seven was something of an off year in between. But how much of a new dynamic did they add? Like it, the memories for Topoki would have been certainly one of my uh, honourable mentions. As would Maffi. Like it seemed as though you had a really nice balance there of Maffi being nearly a, a ballistic missile when he was on, and then Topoki, obviously extremely physical and listen had a had a bit of gas as well, but was such a clever tactical player. You think even of his tactical kicking game, he would have set up a couple of tries here and there with grubber kicks, and just always seemed to spot things in the field that other players couldn't really see yeah definitely and and i think it's absolutely valid and it works better to actually pair those two together um because like i i struggle to leave those guys even three i'd extend it to three monster centers i think halstead without him in 2006 monster getting over the line well quite literally in the final he bashes his way over he was such a focal point for the back line and it was obviously a short enough stay but he had such an impact and then those two, Ruotopoki and Maffi, together were just superb. I think if I had to choose one of them, one of the th- three centers, I'd choose Topoki as the biggest influence because without him, I don't think Maffi would have been the player he was. It was actually remarkable the the kind of relationship that the two of them had off the pitch. Even Ruotopoki was almost like a older brother for Maffi, almost like a father figure. Very calming influence. I think the pair of them just used to basically be a, a joined at the hip around the the training center, etc. And Maffi obviously had those, as you say, those kind of dynamic moments in games. But I think Tipoki probably, he probably helped him to see when was the right time to go and do those things rather than being impulsive all the time. You know, there's a time and place for shooting out of the line and trying to stop the ball. Maffi didn't always get that right. But I think with Tipoki alongside him, he did it more often than not. Tipoki also was a brilliant foil for Ron O'Gara. As Andy mentions, O'Gara, the best tactical kind of player, territorial player 
probably in the world at that time. But then he had this kind of second set of playmaking eyes outside him. Topoki was obviously experienced, really good communicator, um, really concise kind of chat into his out half. And that definitely, as Andy says, opened up the pitch for them because you had a different type of player. But obviously Topoki as well, could he could go hard. He could carry the ball. He was unbelievably uh, aggressive in the tackle as well. So he brought that physical attribute that you need from from any 12 so yeah there there are three excellent centers there like Maffey's I remember the first time when he came on and that handoff and you go wow this is just something they haven't had so dynamic and, and explosive really exciting and and definitely Andy's I think spot on to to pair them together because they had such an influence on, on changing things for Munster and definitely how they played and also to, to Pokey I think even though he's only there for two years he had such an influence off the pitch uh, he's, I think one of Roger's ki- kids is named after him and even I remember meet, in, meeting Topoki in New Zealand during the I think it was during the Lions tour and he said his own son is now talking about calling his son so Rua, Rua's grandkid calling him Ronan as well because he loved Ronan O'Gara's spiral kicking so uh, obviously the, the connections off the pitch were, were huge as well That's amazing uh, Next up in your own list Andy I think this takes us all up to number two so I guess we're calling it the second best ever uh, import into Irish rugby. Who who have you got in that slot? Uh, I I'm getting confused. <laughs> I'm at number Sorry. one already. I had a uh, I had Jim Williams, Felipe, uh, Rocky, and then the two lads. Oh, sorry. Pardon me. Yeah. I, uh, um, well, it, it it would appear as though I've made a balls of it then. Uh, but who's well, it's okay. who, who's your uh, number one then? And we can. Well, uh, my- the num the number one um and and to me was uh was the probably the easier choice because I think it's it's um by some distance I think he uh I picked Easton Asiwa because um he won four European Cups and he won his fourth one after retiring and came back out of retirement and and won it and I I just think it's it's hard to quantify how impressive that is um. I could, you know, if I just look at my own <laughs> career, I when I retired, I felt like I couldn't walk for about four months. Let alone, my body just took such time to recover. But to to to, there was no chance in my physical being or mental being that I was ever entertaining the idea of playing professional rugby again. But to to retire, and then come back out of retirement, as if you hadn't been away for two years. It's it to me. It's 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 almost hard to explain how difficult I think that must have been but um, to having already won won three European Cups and do that to me uh, alone is probably one of the most impressive things but far greater players than me have said uh, you know pick your favourite the likes of O'Driscoll and and they say without a doubt Issa had the biggest influence on their career in terms of how well he trained how skillful he was um, how successful he was um, we could wax lyrical all day, but I think for me it was an easier choice to pick the number one than it was two, three, four, and five. I think by a clear distance, he he's the uh, the number one Irish import. Yeah, I I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I've certainly got him at number one here. And Murray, I am going to ask you: Do you have him at number one? And then we could nearly start working backwards to get your number two. Uh, as I continue to make an absolute name of this, but <laughs> no, it's um, kind of hard. Just, it's kind of hard to follow. There are so many names as well. Yeah, Easton Thayer my number one as well. Again, I I think most people will be very much uh, kind of united in, in in thinking that the two spells were just remarkably successful, and the fact that he was so versatile 
played both wings full back he was brilliant obviously played 10 more so at the start I think he even played 12 as well could place kick in an emergency as well just really complete player you could have probably played him in the back row and he would have done a super job and been all around the pitch and really prominent um, he was like really tough one of the one of the most um, physical players I know that's strange to say about a back three but one of the most physical players I remember Joe Schmidt also saying one time he he, f- he felt that Issa Natewa had better ability to concentrate than any individual he'd ever met in rugby uh, he said Natewa had this incredible knack of he could be, you know, joking, laughing on the pitch, and then a split second later, he'd have tuned back in. He was really able to turn it on and off like that, and that was a massive part of his of his quality was that he was so focused in every moment that actually mattered. He obviously could beat players one on one. He had pace. You think of his it was a twenty eleven the Heineken Cup quarter final against Leicester, where he plays that one two with Horgan and beats four defenders. Remarkable skill. He could chip. He could grubber. Um, he could do everything really. It was a such a pity for him, I guess, with his international career that cap for Fiji denying him probably the chance to play for Ireland. Actually, he would have qualified, um, and he, I think he regretted that obviously. But that was all the all the more gain for Leinster in terms of what they got. He was always there when they're playing Dragons away, when they were going on trips to Italy. He was there with the younger guys, like having a massive influence on them. His mental skills were like world class I don't think anyone else matched him in that area he spent a lot of time on it and, and influenced guys but also with a lot of these imports we talk about their influence on younger players but he as Andy's kind of alluded to there is he's had a massive influence on older guys and people who are the same age as him or slightly younger and, and changed how they approach things and how they trained how they mentally prepared themselves for games so yeah I think just in terms of the sheer amount of silverware influence off the pitch um, and continuing legacy now he's even on he's on to guys like you know they're texting him um, even people like Gary Ringrose keeping in touch with him and he is such connections there so he, he for me was pretty straightforward choice at number one as well my number two was was Doug Howlett yeah I can I can definitely see what Andy's saying with the centres making life easier for him but I think he was a another game changing addition for them Um Come straight from a what was a pretty bad World Cup, albeit for for New Zealand, but a record try score for the All Blacks coming to Munster just adds that another layer of confidence. Thinking that we, you know, Munster, we have one of the best players in in the world now, um, and stayed for what eleven years in the end, going on to work in the kind of commercial area after playing. He definitely made his home in Munster before eventually, um, going back to New Zealand. Uh, like standout moments like the Hacker and Tomlin Park. I know Maffey and um and others were involved in that. But, you know, they're, they're part of the iconic kind of um, monster history. And also just on the pitch, how it was ex- exceptional. Still a brilliant try scorer, a really excellent defender and another steady head who had a big influence on guys around him in the team and around him on the training pitch as well in terms of instilling those world-class on-field habits um, and yeah settling in so so well into life in Munster and, and loving it and and them giving him a lot back in return as well so it was a, it was a, a two-way thing but I think he had a, a massive influence even just in as I say adding that layer of confidence yeah I think there's all in fairness there are all sorts of criteria that you could use in order to make a similar list and one of them uh, for me would have just been the cultural impact nearly off-field stuff as you say I remember sitting in a Monster Football final 2008 and Howlett was sitting behind me two rows back wearing a Cork jersey. He'd only landed into the country, you know. And then you, you fast forward to that Heineken Cup final that year. You've got probably 30 or 40 out of 60,000 Monster fans 
in Cardiff wearing like Afro wigs and things, um, trying to replicate him. Uh, went on to Captain Munster as well, of course, which kind of gets overlooked in that it wasn't for a, a particularly long period of time. But again, when you consider that he wasn't there for, you know, what was it, three, four years for a guy to come in and, and sort of take over that dressing room uh, was quite the feat as well. Andy, your thoughts on Howlett, who, uh, for reasons that you've outlined, doesn't quite make your list, but I'm sure a player that you would have appreciated even long before he landed into Munster. Yeah, I think an incredible uh finisher as well um and and you know his his all-round play that that doesn't do service to his all-round play around the field his, his general contribution on the field his work rate his work ethic his defensive reads um he was able to come in from the wing a little like Dennis Hickey did in the early days where your winger was suddenly popping up in a lot of different positions he didn't just hold hold width and and wait on the ball to come to him. So he always <clears throat> had a lot of involvements and positive contributions around the field. But allied to that, his actual finishing, um, his technique, his ability to take difficult chances and convert them into scores um, was, was incredible. Um, I actually had one <clears throat> opportunity, the 1999 World, Under-21 World Cup, and the Irish under twenty ones for some reason picked five out halves in the back line. And uh <laughs> that was Jeremy Staunton, Paddy Wallace, myself, Mark McHugh and Shane Moore. And they just tried to put square pegs in round holes and I ended up on the wing. Um we played New Zealand and of course I had to mark the man himself, Doug Howlett, who made absolute <clears throat> made absolute dirt to me because it never had I played on the wing all my life, he still would have made dirt to me, but he certainly made dirt to me. <laughs> Uh, I haven't played there once before in my whole career and you're playing a World Cup group game against them and uh, I got a very visceral sense of how fast how good his footwork was on that day and it, it's burnt into my mind um, but but obviously he went on and and uh, did the same too in at the, at the highest level for the All Blacks from Munster um, and, and did so with with a hugely impactful uh, role on on the character and culture of Munster rugby, which again is is not an easy thing to do. So yeah, he's he's right up there for for me. I just felt the 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 two midfielders had more of an impact in changing exactly how Munster played, and he was able to, I suppose, benefit from that. But it's very hard to st- structurally or or. T- tactically change how a team plays from the wing or fullback, whereas I think the centres did. But he's uh, he's been hugely central to to Munster rugby and Irish rugby as an import for sure. Was he your number two as well? He was my number three. I'd ruined Pinar number two. Um, okay. But yeah, I'd the same with number one. So our lists: uh, yours, Murray, Jim Williams, Felipe Contepomi, Pomi, uh, Ruin Pinar, Doug Howlett, Easton Nasewa. Andy went Jim Williams, Felipe Cantafomi, Rocky Elson, Lefemi, Maffi, Andrew at Topoki as a combination, and then Ethan Nasewa. And I went Williams, Cantafomi, Howlett, Pinar, Nasewa. So similar enough lists, which again, uh, I realize may not make for great podcasting debate, <laughs> but is strangely reassuring. Uh, but we need to, I think, give a nod to some of the guys who didn't yeah. quite make th- that top five, but just had... Uh, incredible impacts in their respective provinces and a very cognizant as well of the fact that we don't actually have a Connacht import there at the moment but I do think that's sort of slightly due to the fact that they haven't been quite on that 
top level European stage so much in the last sort of 10, 15 years, or even in the professional era, generally speaking. Uh, just give us, if you wouldn't mind, Murray, a, a Connacht import, if you have one there, uh, as a kind of an honourable mention, or as somebody who is unfortunate not to make this list. I think, to be fair, if if Bundyaki wasn't Irish qualified and playing for Ireland, he, he'd probably be in there. So yeah. uh, is there anyone else that jumps out from out west? Yeah, well, those, I guess the project players were another topic altogether, because you could talk about Stander, Strauss, even Jared Payne. In terms of Connacht, I guess someone like Paul Warwick, who obviously ended up at Munster and, and Munster fans would probably claim as their own, but he was went through Connacht obviously as well. He was a really valuable addition for, for both provinces, really. Uh, drop goal specialist at times. Again, nice creativity and um, could offer that bit of versatility covering 10 and 15. Uh, Michael Swift was another one who obviously came from closer o- over from the UK, but had a, a massive long-lasting impact on the province as well and yeah you're right like they haven't won Heineken Cup so the the impact of the province of the imports rather probably isn't as, as widely regarded but there are a number of guys who had their own um say in in all four provinces one we haven't mentioned so far who's currently playing and I think will probably end up being on these these types of lists is Scott Fardy I think he's been unbelievable since arriving at Leinster obviously came straight in they won the double and um, again, Pro 14 last season, this season and before it was postponed, he was absolutely exceptional, often obviously in the Pro 14. But again, a very complete rugby player. He's gritty, hard nosed. He can, he can, you know, exchange in the in the tight and carry and tackle and smash people. But very comfortable out in the 15 meter channel as well with his offloading, his his passing. He can beat defenders. He can steal lineouts. He really does everything and is that leader figure as well, that kind of father figure. Um, similar to what Nathewa did in, in those games when Ireland internationals potentially are away or, or whatever, so he's been exceptional. I think he'll end up being regarded as one of one of the very best. There's others like Nathan Hines. Obviously, had two seasons. He was brilliant. Brad Thorne had what a couple of months, but and he only played what, six or seven or eight games, but he had a lasting impact again on players around him in particular. Um, and they obviously won the the Heineken Cup under Joe Schmidt. Um, Sean Payne, people like Stan Wright. There's there's loads of good imports. There are obviously some who didn't work out and for whatever reason, but generally our Irish rugby has done pretty well off it. Uh, Andy, any honourable mentions that Murray didn't allude to there? Even guys that you would have played with, uh, be it at Connacht or Leinster. Yeah, um, well, one one um, I didn't play with, but I just again I'm probably doing this more on hearsay and then just observation. Uh, was David Hallwell who came into the Leinster setup, um, and at a time when I think, famously Neil Francis was was had called them the Leinster players, the Leinster Lady Boys, and it was a name that they hated and they didn't want to stick, and it stuck, and there was huge question marks about the, the spine of Leinster rugby. Could they ever actually go on and win anything of significance, or were they just always the the nearly men who had the skill but hadn't got the resolve? Someone like David Howell came in, um, who um, from what I gather was it was a farmer and um, made of granite. And the famous story I've heard from him was, I think broke his hand and wrist, fully broken and played on in a game. Just strapped it up. Arthur Tanner got him to strap it up, and when tried to get get him down to St Vincent's Hospital after a game in Donnybrook, refused to go to the hospital and jogged home. So uh, didn't even get on the team, but <clears throat> and apparently that's a true story. And just 
took a few painkillers and on you on you go with it and just kept playing. So he uh he, for an out half that's extremely rare. But um <laughs> I think he I think he had quite an influence on what Leinster players at the time believed was acceptable and suddenly this guy was uh changing the, the mindset and saying what's acceptable in terms of physical toughness, uh commitment levels you know, not complaining, being a, being a hard-ass professional. And he, he did that in spades. I personally loved his place-kicking style as well because he just put the ball down, walked back, and within probably seven to ten seconds, he was making impact. And generally, where they were going over. He didn't hang around. So um, he's one maybe that we just haven't mentioned that uh, I think I certainly enjoyed watching and had had an impact over here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from all the listeners as to uh, the foreign imports that we haven't mentioned over the course of this 45 minute or so chat because there are probably, well, there are definitely plenty more as well. But we got in as many as we could. And lads, it was good fun. Uh, lovely to hear your voices at this difficult time and roll back in the years there as well with some of the great, uh, well, some of the greatest players ever to play the game in this country, really. Uh, we'll chat to you soon. Murray, thanks a mil. Thanks a mil. And Andy. Take care, man. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. And to all of our listeners at home, thanks a million. Hope you're keeping well uh, and healthy. And anybody, obviously, with elderly or vulnerable uh, family members at this time, we're thinking of you. It's a difficult time for everybody, but particularly you guys, everybody in the medical profession working so diligently. Uh, it kind of goes without saying that you have our admiration as well. So... We'll get there eventually. We don't know when, but there will be a time when everything is back up in running order. Uh, we will be back with a members podcast on Monday, the second part of the series, Best Irish 15 of the 21st Century. The first episode went live yesterday for the 42 members, members.the42.e, if you want to catch that one. So until Monday, uh, if you're a member, and until next Thursday, if not, take it easy. We'll catch you soon. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass.